Okay, you guys, so I'm here to talk about Roe v. Wade and um, my perspective. So I think it was like in 2020, like two years ago during the pandemic, when everything was on lockdown, I looked into Roe v. Wade and I posted about it on my personal Facebook account and only one person replied and that was my aunt. And she was like, mm, I'm still pro-choice. And I was like, I'm pro-choice, but I just don't like how the case, how everything came to be. Because basically, there was a woman, um, she went an abortion, and there were these two ambitious lawyers who went to fight for her to be able to have one. Um, but then she decided she didn't want an abortion. And, you know, they still fought for the right to abortion. And the woman who ended up... Um, being the reason why we have abortions all across the 50 states. She's pro-life where she was while she was alive. And she felt kind of taken advantage of by them. So I was kind of like not cool with that. And the reason we have abortion is because in the U.S. we're supposed to have the right to privacy. And, um, you know, now they're saying that if they take that away, then they're going to take away our right to privacy, which is why we have interracial marriage, um, like a lot of things. I don't know if that's why we have desegregated schools, but I think that's why we have like certain things as far as our sex lives, like being able to have same sex marriage, interracial marriage, abortion, um, HIPAA, things like that. So that's interesting, but we kind of have lost a lot of those rights anyways. So, like HIPAA with everything being online, and um, just a lot of things are not as private as they used to be. So, I don't know what's going to happen with the right to privacy, but I do know that recently it came out that the judges are trying to, they had like a private meeting so that they could discuss... um Roe v. Wade and like try to get rid of that and the Supreme Court is historically pretty conservative um the Dred Scott case is what led to slavery being solidified legally across the the states that we had at the time which I don't know how many there were um maybe 13 still maybe more I'm not sure but it definitely wasn't 50 as of yet, but it was like, you know, Dred Scott, I think his name was Dred, the slave. He um, traveled a lot with his master and he had certain privileges, but then he got a new master and he was treated like what you would expect a slave to be treated like. And he didn't really like that. He wasn't used to it. So he wanted to sue. So they get freedom and spend time with his family and things like that. And they said, I mean, that case, oh my God, those judges were so shady. They're like, you being here is like a, a gorilla being here. And what makes you think you have the right to have freedom? You can't compare yourself to a Native American. They're savages, but at least they have some type of a something going for themselves. You're just a worthless slave. I mean, they went in. They were like, basically like, how dare you? <laughs> like, oh, I read that a little bit of it. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay. They could have held back a little bit, but they chose not to. Anyways, and then um, Plessy versus Ferguson is what led to 
segregation being allowed. And um, it's interesting because that was in Louisiana, which was a, a new state. It was um, originally a French colony. And then the Louisiana Purchase took place and the Civil War. And so it became a part of the United States. But um, they had a lot of free people of color. And many of them because race mixing didn't automatically just lead to people being house slaves. A lot of them were freed after a certain age or for whatever reason. And so there were a lot of free people of color who were mixed race and white passing, what we would call them. Um, or not even necessarily trying to pass for white, but they just looked white. And when I say pass for white, I mean like trying to pretend as though they're white. That was what would be referred to as white passing in the 20th century. Now when people say white passing, they mean you just look white. Like you look like someone could mistake you for a white person. Not necessarily that you're trying to pretend like you're white. Um, But in the 20th century, it was a big deal because of these 19th century rules that were written, which was the one drop rule because um, Plessy was a free person of color. He had African ancestry, but he was only one sixteenth black, meaning first there is the African-American, which is the Negro. This is what they called them back then. And then it was the mulatto, which we would call biracial now, someone half black and white. Then it was the quadroon. That would be if that biracial person who would be referred to as a mulatto back then had a child with a white person, that child would be a quadroon. If the quadroon, who would be considered one fourth white, that's why it's quadroon, mulatto to... Um, quadroon one-fourth, octoroon one-eighth, then that person has a kid with a um, white person, they would typically just be perceived as white. They're going to pretty much be white at that point. But due to Plessy versus Ferguson, they said, nope, that's still too black because someone who has an octoroon for a mother that means, because it was usually the mother was a person of color, that means you your grandmother is a quadroon. And quadroons are visibly of African descent. So if you have a grandparent who's of African descent, and what if your great-grandparents still alive? A lot of people have their great, especially back then, when people had kids much younger, many people knew their grandparents and their great-grandparents. And if you have a grandparent and grandparent that are both clearly of African descent, let's say your mom, she looks pretty white, but has like maybe a full nose, full lips. She's got curlier hair, but your grandma, she looks like Meghan Markle. And then your great grandma looks like her mom, which is clearly a person of African descent, but like of a lighter hue. And then they have like paintings and stories about your great grandma who has a fully black person. Um, That's not good in their opinion. So that's why they said one sixteenth is still too black because you have a clear ancestry where you were going to have a lot of family that's not even white at all. So because of that, and because there were so many people who were mixed race and 
could pass for white um, and in that sense, pretend to be white or just white passing where they could be mistaken as white. Um, They said, okay, a way we can deal with this is just to say, if you are part of black, you're just black because it'll be too confusing otherwise if we want to segregate people. Um, And as I stated, Louisiana was much more inclusive in terms of them allowing their enslaved people of African descent who were both of European descent to have more freedoms and more privileges within the society. The British colonies weren't like that. For the most part, people were just enslaved and they didn't care um, how mixed race they were as much as the French did and the Spanish in their colonies um, in South America. So, I say all that to say um, the Supreme Court upheld slavery, the Supreme Court upheld segregation, but the Supreme Court also um, allowed people to have more privacy in terms of desegregation. Well, I don't know if segregation has to do with privacy, but the Supreme Court did put an end to segregation eventually with the board versus education. Um Brown versus the Board of Education, excuse me. And then the Supreme Court also had Roe v. Wade, which allowed for women to have abortions. The Supreme Court also upheld same-sex marriage or what they call marriage equality. And um, interracial marriage, which is the Lovings versus the state of Virginia. So um, the Supreme Court has made some pretty conservative um, decisions, but they've also made what we perceive as more progressive decisions that were a bit more inclusive. So now, having said all that, this going back and reversing a law, which would take away people's rights, is interesting to me because we usually move forward and give people rights rather than ever taking them away. Even with the decision about slavery, um, they were upholding the slave owner's rights, even if you could perceive it as them taking away the enslaved person's rights. But in general, I can't think of any cases that I know of, and mind you, I don't know that many cases, but I can't think of too many cases where people's rights have been taken away or too many amendments to the Constitution where we've had less rights. But in this instance, there are people who feel as though they're creating more rights for the not yet born child that's in the woman's stomach. And I, at one point, was pro-life for humanitarian and religious reasons. I am no longer pro-life. I have totally, completely done a 180. I'm not like to the point where I'm pro-eugenics, only because eugenics is so Anglo-Saxon. It's so pro-white Christian. Um, but I am almost more so leaning towards what they did in China. I don't think we need a one-drop rule, but when they talk about the one-drop rule and documentaries and like just like any time they talk about it, they always talk about how there ended up being more males born than females born. and But they were able to have abortions till they were like nine months pregnant. But 
one thing that I find very interesting about that that they don't talk about is all of the children that were disabled that were aborted. Because if you can only have one child, do you think they're not testing for Down syndrome? I'm sure they eliminated so many pregnancies with children that would have been very sick. And I think that that's that is the interesting part. Um, because how much healthier is this up and coming generation as compared to previous generations, especially now that, um, I mean, the Gen X, I think it started like in the eighties, the one child rule. So I'll say, I'll just say millennials, like millennials that are in their thirties and forties now who are having kids, they're pretty much the only child and their government is paying them to have multiple children. So let's say you're 35 years old and now you're being paid. So now you have like three kids and your mom had four abortions before you were born and you're a healthy person. You have this great education. You always had a very well-balanced diet growing up. And you're going to have all of these children. Your children are more likely to be healthy. Now, I did see um, a video on eugenics on YouTube that explained the history of it here in the United States and the forced sterilizations and um, how people decided it wasn't fully necessary because they saw that a lot of progress was made within populations over generations that was quicker than what they found even with eugenics just by introducing certain basic hygiene, um, giving people access to adequate health care and education, and giving people adequate jobs and housing that eliminated a need for eugenics um, because a lot of the issues that people were having were just eliminated once they had access to these resources. And they were able to see people's IQs go up, people's, you know, crime rates and things like that went down. And I do agree with that. But I also think if you add on the access to birth control, abortion and sterilization, and you give women the right to, if they so choose, to have just a limited amount of children. And, you know, you look at China and you're like, you only have one shot. You only get one child. And you're giving them all these resources because they were giving them that too. And they can only have one child. They're going to have the best child. And then that child's going to have a bunch of children versus if they were able to just have as many kids as they want. And we're told don't ever have an abortion. They're going to have some great children, yes, but also some not so great children. And then all of those children have children. And... Because as special as human beings think they are, and I think human beings are special, you know, dolphins and orcas, they're so intelligent, but they can't build skyscrapers and they can't do calculus. So, I mean, as intelligent as they are, they're not as intelligent as us. And I think, you know, for me, when I look at other animals, I look at beavers, they can build shelter. And that's nice, but they can't build a skyscraper, which is much nicer. So, I mean, granted, skyscrapers and all of this industrialization is why we have global warming. But, I mean, (laughs) 
there's good and bad that comes with it. But I do think overall human beings are pretty smart. And I think that we are special. But I think at the end of the day, we're, all, we're animals. We're mammals. We're mammals. And just like they could do an experiment with foxes to see over the 40-year span how domesticating foxes would work and how they w- it would make them as compared to a wild fox and they saw over 40 years foxes began to be more tame they wagged their tails they didn't smell the same they acted more like what a house dog would act like or even just the existence of dogs you know it's just breeding out that wild wolf or even just when you see a cow today compared to cows years and years ago, or even when you look at fruit, which is a plant, you look at fruit today compared to fruit from yesteryear. You look at a watermelon today compared to a watermelon of 200 years ago, and it's totally different. I think we look at how we farm today compared to how we used to farm and how the plants look today compared to how they look then, how animals look today compared to how they look then, how domesticated dogs look compared to wild wolves. I think when you look at these things, you realize selective breeding is a thing. It's not only something that you can do for plants, fungi, and animals. You could do it with people too. I don't think it needs to go as extreme as eugenics because I think eugenics was just racist. And that was the issue because there is no supreme race. White people have issues the same as everybody else. But I think that's where they messed up. And that gave them a lot of implicit biases, which led to so many issues. But when you look at, you know, the one child policy in China, I think the issue there was Their country was so overpopulated and still is. They kind of just were focused on depopulating. And so it ended up being a bit extreme because of that. Maybe one child wasn't a good number, maybe two or three max. But one as a recommendation would have been better. I can't exactly say, but I do know that what's done is done. They did what they did. And now they're stuck with the population that they have, which is going to be a fairly healthy population because a lot of kids who would have had all of these health problems, you know, with all the genetic testing and all of the ultrasounds, you know, you see this child doesn't have all their fingers or their leg is backwards, you're going to get rid of it. I mean, there were even some cases of Chinese parents after the baby's born just sitting the baby outside and the baby starves and they're not punished for it. So if the baby is sick, you think that that never happened? I'm sure it happened. Here, after the baby's born, if you, if you, you know, harm the baby, you go to jail for that for a long time. Um, a lot of girls have given birth during proms and gotten... Um, in trouble for like throwing the baby in the dumpster or whatever. 
But in China, I didn't hear of any prosecutions during the one child policy because they really wanted to reduce their population. So if you gave birth to a child and the child had something seriously wrong with them and you're like, I only get one shot. Do I want a child with one eye? I doubt it. You know, so now you're seeing all of these people who are born and who grew up and who were healthy and I think it'll be interesting to see how that will affect the Chinese population within the next 30 years. But um, that, what happened in China, is what made me pro-abortion. I won't even say pro-choice because they didn't really have a choice, really. A lot of women were forced to have abortions, forced to put on birth control, forced to be put on birth control, and forced to be sterilized. Um. And I'm not saying we need to do that here, but that is what opened my mind up to the idea of abortion because before I wasn't for it. Um, I believe that women should be able to choose after the age of 27 because they say you're fully developed around 25. But after the age of 27, I don't think doctors should say, oh, what if you meet a nice man? Because I know a lot of women, I know one guy who got dumped recently because his girlfriend didn't want to have kids and she was not budging. So if she wanted to sterilize herself, I don't think she should be told, what if you meet a nice man? She just dumped her man because she (laughs) is not having kids. Like I think grown women should be able to say, I want to get my uterus removed, my tubes tied, my tubes cut up and burned and then tied, my tubes removed or whatever it is, however they do it. If they so choose, I believe that women should be able to just have a way more say so in what happens with their reproductive system because ultimately it's not going to be healthy otherwise if they're not allowed to just express themselves um in terms of how they want to um, live in this life, whether they want to be a mother or not. I don't think it's healthy for the woman. I don't think it's healthy for the child, for women to be forced or pressured into having kids when they don't want to have kids. And then abortion, I get the argument of it's murder because the unborn child is alive. And if you end the child's life, then you just killed a person, um, even though they weren't yet born. But for me, I've reevaluated my religious beliefs, and although I do believe unborn children are born, they're, I mean, unborn children are alive for sure. I just don't think their lives are that significant. So here's an example. In Texas, there was a case where a woman was a sex worker, a prostitute, whatever. She was a sex worker. And she went to this man's house and she did not have sex with him, but she took his money and her her, and her pimp like went away. And then the man, he shot the prostitute. Um, I don't know if he ended up getting his money back, but she ended up dying. And he was brought to court and they decided he was fine. Now, it wouldn't surprise me if that prostitute was a person of color and he was white, but I don't know that. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. But anyways, they said, well, since he was, she was running off with his property and he wasn't really going to be able to retrieve it, he had the right to shoot to try and retrieve his property because he has the right to defend his property. 
in the state of Texas. Also in the state of Texas and in many states, um, they have the death penalty in most states. And that's been upheld by the Supreme Court as well. That's not considered a cruel or unusual punishment. So we have the death penalty. We have the ability to shoot people in order to try and retrieve our property. And we have the right to shoot people and stand our ground in self-defense. And we, I think almost everywhere, if someone's breaking into your house, you have the right to, if you're a gun owner, to shoot them. Um, so we have all that. So um, with that being said, if we have all of these rights, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be able to Abort a fetus. You know, you're killing people when you're in the military. You kill people when they're on death row. You kill people to defend your property. You kill people to defend yourself. You kill people to be able to retrieve property. So why can't you kill your unborn child if you feel as though they're posing a threat to you? I view it as a form of self-defense at this point. I do view it as killing because the child is alive even though they haven't been born yet they're alive but in the bible it says life starts at first breath um it may say something else in another part but i know that's one thing that says in the bible um but i don't fully agree with that because i know women who really want their kids and when they lose their child through um miscarriage is significant their child's already alive and they have a connection to that child. Even women who abort their children a lot of times feel bad about it because they love their kids. I know women who do not feel bad at all. They couldn't care less. They loved the kids that were born. They didn't love those kids that weren't born. That's why they got rid of them. I know women who feel bad about it. And I know some women who are happy, 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 joy, joy about it. So everyone has their own opinion. But regardless, those children are living beings. However... How significant is their life? To me, it's not very significant because I don't believe that if you kill someone, you're automatically a bad person. I think it depends on their circumstances. So killing your unborn child because it's you versus them. And if they don't get if you don't get the abortion, you could die. I feel as though you have the right to have an abortion because you have the right to defend yourself because this kid is trying to hurt you. I mean, if it's you versus me, I should defend myself. And if you end up dying, oh, well, like if someone comes to attack me in my house and I have a weapon in my house and I use it on them and they end up dying, they attacked me and they were in my home. This was I was here first. This is my home. I own it, so I should be able to defend myself. And it's the same thing when I'm wanting pregnancy. I was here first. This is my home. This is my body. And you're in my body, and I don't want you here. I should be able to defend myself, especially if it's life-threatening. Now, you could say that's physical health. But I also think life-threatening can be mental health as well. And if the child is going to cause an undue burden and stress in terms of financial resources, I think I feel as though that's self-defense as well because that baby's robbing you and you have the right to to defend your your property and I think if it's going to cause you mental distress 
um, that's, that's a part of your health and you have the right to defend your mind and body. So I think, yeah, I view abortion as a form of self-defense and I've never heard anyone say that. I'm the first person I ever heard say that. So you heard it here first, (laughs) y'all, but yeah, I would say that it's a form of self-defense. And I think that that to me now is why And I'm so glad I'm saying this on my podcast and not in the comment section because I have influenced so many influencers like it's not even funny. I had to stop (laughs) commenting on lovely tea videos because I would like say something on her Instagram or say something in her YouTube and she's always complaining that people copy her without getting credit. She would say verbatim the things I was saying and never give me credit for anything. And I hated it. (laughs) And now, like, she never says anything similar to what I would say. So I found that interesting. And then, um, like, but one thing I did like is I used to write, like, things about, like, race. And I would say, like, certain types of men are white supremacists or certain types of men are hypergamous. And now some of the influencers that I follow will say the exact same thing but that wasn't like an instantaneous sort of thing it'll be like months and years later and I think it's because I wrote it and then other people wrote it and other people wrote it and they started seeing those comments so much and they started to agree with it so that I like because that was me influencing them versus with lovely tea where she would just like copy me and not give me any credit like you could at least like my comment you know, or you could at least say, oh, this it, this reminds me of when a commenter said X, Y, Z, but she never did. So I found that annoying. I still watch her video. She's great, but I'd rather say it first here on my podcast and then, <laughs> and then if it gets stolen, at least I could be like, well, at least I said it first. You could check out my podcast, you know. But yeah, I view it as a form of self-defense. And yes, the fetus is alive, it's a human, um, but humans do get killed. And just because you kill somebody, it doesn't make you a murderer. It's not the same thing. Like when people talk, who people who are pro-life, when they talk about abortion, they talk about it like as if you're, you know, some... Ted Bundy or something and you're just going out and just hurting this poor innocent baby for no reason this baby's in your body and they're hurting you and you don't want them there and you're just defending yourself I think it's different if you give birth to a child and you're abusing the child that didn't ask to be here I do view that as cruel but if you haven't given birth to the child I do believe that you should not be forced to give birth to a child that you don't want because that child is hurting you and you should defend yourself. So um, that's why I'm pro-choice now. I just had a completely... (sighs) I just had a complete change of perspective. And I think, you know, originally I just perceived it as being inhumane. Um, and just harmful to the child. And I looked at the child's humanity and wanted to help the child. But 
now I still view this unborn child as human, but I don't see them as such a good human. And in the Bible, it says we're all born sinners. It doesn't say that babies are born innocent and good. It says that they're born sinners, which I do believe. Um, And so just like you can judge an adult, I think you can judge children too and say, you know, my unborn child is not going to be good for me. They're not going to add joy to my life. They're going to add a lot of stress and problems. You know, when you look at Feed the Children commercials, it's a bunch of single moms struggling, starving. You know, when you look at the government, it's a bunch of like... Feed the Children is in Africa and South America, of course, but mainly Africa, but still... You know, these children are not helping their parents. They're making their parents even more impoverished. And when you look at, you know, the U.S. and how children in working class families are treated, um, social services barely has anything for them. The schools are underfunded. The health care is not the best. The access to even grocery stores in low-income areas can be like a food desert. And just so many, there's so many different health issues associated with poverty that the government could more than afford to assist with. I mean, they sent over like, what was it, $35 billion to Ukraine and they're not even our allies. And they said we're not even involved, Um, but they're sending so much aid to Ukraine And I find that so interesting, yet we as Americans are not getting that same aid being put towards housing and feeding lower income or impoverished Americans. And I remember they said, what did they say? If we had $6 billion, we could end world hunger, Elon Musk. But the president just sent $35 billion to Ukraine for a war. So, I mean, we have so much money. We could end, like, world hunger. (laughs) But yet, we're fighting wars. And not helping poor or lower-income children. So, we're not, you know, ending student loan debt or anything. And, um... So if this is the world that we live in, where kids, once they get here, it's kind of like, oh, you're on your own. I think we should do what we need to do to avoid women from getting pregnant. Men should have access to birth control. I think there are some men who would be open to it. We live in a really gender-fluid society now. Most men maybe wouldn't want it, but if there were ads on television and billboards, I think there would be men who would be open to it. I think we need more access to sterilization for women at a younger age, late 20s preferably. Um, I think we need more access to birth control for sure. And I definitely think that we need to have access to abortions, safe abortions. I do think that because, 
Yes, it is a killing, but no, it's not a murder. It's self-defense, and I think women should have the right to defend themselves from unwanted pregnancy and the harms associated to to it. Um, the undue burden, the physical, mental, and financial harm, and just the threat that the unborn child is imposing against their mother so I and father really quite frankly so I yeah those are my thoughts on Roe v. Wade and um, we'll see what happens in terms of the legality I live in New York so it's gonna still be legal here but we'll see what happens in the other 50 states and oh they also said that they are trying to ban women from leaving the state to have abortions in some places and I think it's about 20 states that are interested in banning um abortion they already have the laws on the record but because of the supreme court they weren't able to fulfill that and um Oh, yeah. And there are so many kids in foster care. I think in Texas about in 2020, like 2000 kids were missing and they have so many kids in foster care going missing. And I just don't want women to be like forced or pressured to have more kids. They're going to end up in the foster care system and then go missing. So I definitely think that, you know, this whole idea of having kids and just acting as though it's fine, it's safe, it's totally okay to just make women have children. It's not safe. You know, it's not okay. It's not really that great. I'm definitely pro-choice, pro-abortion. And um, the Supreme Court ruling, assumed to be ruling, um, to remove Roe v. Wade and to go and do things in a more conservative way, we'll see what happens with it. But, um... Those are all my thoughts on Roe v. Wade being overturned, potentially. Thank you for listening. Later.